When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Flow Track Podcast, flowtrackpodcast at gmail.com. We also have a specific URL that people can use to find all the old episodes on the website. So if you go to flowtrack.org slash flowtrackpodcast, you can find the whole library there, Gordon. Wow, that is mind-blowing that we can do that. <laughs> how do we do Very that? How do we, how do we get our own little URL? Uh, Travis hooked it up. Though. It must be big time. Yeah, Travis Travis hooked it up. Thanks to him for doing that. You also can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, etc. etc. I'm Kevin. He's Gordon. Uh, it's NAU week on the site, so we're going to do a deep dive into the NAU series on today's episode. But before we get going, anything on your mind, Gordon? Anything you want to get off your chest? I thought you were going to say before we get going, here's a word from our sponsors. And I was excited. Oh, we're going to hear yet. like <laughs> – Maybe a, a song or something, but no. You go before we get going. Let's go right to Gordon. Uh, what was the question again? I just wanted to see if there's anything you had to get off your chest. Yesterday, I liked how you Lincoln just threw you that Eagles question off the top before he got into the rest of the show. I was trying to mimic something there, but if there's nothing else, then we can just proceed as normal and forget this happened. No, I mean, uh, I think I said it on the last pod. Got done watching. I watched uh, the Michael Jordan documentary again last night uh jojo didn't mm. watch episodes three and four so i rewatched three and four with her uh and i think to you but i think that phil jackson is the mike smith of track i mean it, they have a very similar coaching style that i just i feel like it's very uh similar i don't know do you, yeah very do you, strong do you vibes Oh, yeah. Do you see that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. The big, I guess the big difference was when people talk about Phil Jackson's ability as a coach, they talk about his ability to manage egos and huge stars. And that's not something you really have as much in the running world. Uh, maybe you do. Maybe Matt Baxter came on campus and was like, he's trash. He's trash. Screw this guy. I'm the star. But I, I, I never got the vibe from that. But just in terms of how they uh, interact, the, the Zen nature of it all, I definitely see the parallels there. I have a question, though, for you. because Well, I was going to say, actually, huge stars. Go ahead. Okay. Oh, you go. Oh, well, it's like he kind of does have a way to handle huge stars. It may not be stars via their ego, but it is stars via the outside world. I mean, he takes in Brody Hasty, who's like high school superstar, and learns how okay. to like get tournament to like, all right, no, you can just be another one of the guys. Same thing, what he's going to do with Nico Young. I mean, he's taking on Galen Rupp, which is the ultimate star, and he's trying to like coach a person with the ultimate most distractions and pressure. So mm -hmm. I think he does know how to handle like athletes who are in a different world than other athletes. Like Galen Rupp is a different athlete compared to Luis Grijalva, right? Or any mm -hmm. other athlete or that he's ever coached. 
So I think he does approach Galen differently, and he does approach Brody Hasty. Does appro- he will approach Nico Young differently? Uh, and I think that's because he understands, like, hey, everyone's kind of different. But anyway, what were we going to ask? Me? No, no, I get that. I get that 100%. I guess more just the idea of working that into a team, right? When Michael Johnson had to, and Michael Johnson, Michael Jordan had to adapt to the triangle offense, it was about him trusting his teammates. I guess the superstars need to do that a little bit when you talk about a, a race plan on a cross country course, but the best way for any of you to be good is for Brody Hasty to be as good as possible, right? It's it's a little more straightforward just because it's not that there's not one ball that they have to share like there is yeah. in in bas in basketball. I, I was gonna ask, I don't is Jojo a, an NBA fan? Like is she a big NBA fan? I'm just curious how people who aren't big into NBA like you and I are, are are viewing this series and what they find interesting. Well, what they find interesting is, no, she's not that big of an NBA fan, not really at all of an NBA fan. Uh, but I know she's a Washington similar, Nationals fan. That's the only thing I know about her. She's we're similar in fan. age, so like she grew up knowing about this this team, the Jordan, the '90s Bulls and Jordan. And every time she's watching it, she's like, "I had no idea that happened. Wait, that happened? Like." That was going on. Like, it's a lot of like, wow, that was going on. And even for me, I'm having a little bit of that because the 90s Bulls, I was still very young. So I didn't really understand what a GM means. Like, what's a general manager? So the whole Jerry Krause stuff and all that stuff. And like, you know, Dennis Rodman going on a bender for like four days. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't really understand. When you're six or eight or 10, you don't really understand that. Right. So, uh, I think we're still. We're, I I feel like I'm kind of watching it almost in the same lens that she's watching it. Obviously, I know more details of the results of a lot of the games and like what Jordan was, but uh, I am most fascinated with just like being able to watch the '90s Bulls with the brain of an adult, right? Because I didn't have that. Mm-hmm. I watched them as just a kid, and everything was just naive, and it was just like. Ooh, basketball, Bulls. I love the colors of red, white, and black, you know? But now I'm, like, understanding, like, I'm watching it from the lens of the way I look at basketball now, which is very different, so. Yeah. My favorite part of the Rodman episode, it wasn't the going to Vegas, showing up in sweatpants or any of that stuff. It was when he's explaining rebounding, and he's like, the ball goes here, I go there. The ball goes there, it goes here. I go here, it goes there. The ball's over here, then it's there. And I'm like, I have, what? what? He could be making this up entirely, but he's clearly not, because he was such a good rebounder, and he got rebounds over guys who were much taller than he was. He must have had some method to it, but just the way he was explaining it and pointing around to the screen, it worked in his head. That was my by far my favorite Rodman uh, moment of the whole series so far. I saw a funny meme of that clip saying Gen Z describing TikTok dances to millennials. It's like, oh, here, then here, and up here, here. Because, you know, all those TikTok there dances were, are just weird arm movements. There were so many, and this this is bad. You talk about watching the 90s Bulls from a 2020 perspective. Uh, watching a documentary from a 2020 perspective, you see a clip, and you're probably doing the same thing. You're like, oh, that's going to be a meme. Like when Ron Harper said what he said, which had a lot of bad words in it, and I can't repeat it on the podcast. I was like, that's going to be a meme. When Michael Jordan's looking at the uh, – he gives him the tablet, right? And he makes yeah. that weird face. Like, that's going to be a meme. You're right with the next round. I'm just, like, looking at this stuff. I'm like, yep, this is going to be on our timeline for years to come. And then I also watch it – so, I, yes, you watch it for the memes, like potential memes, but then I also watch it as a 
track employee for flow track, whatever. Like when they talked about doing the Indian run, I'm like, Oh, it's a track topic in a oh, yeah. big sports yeah. movie. <laughs> when they talked about how they had to do the Indian run during practice, which is kind of, yeah. uh, that's that's funny. I didn't know that like like professional adults were doing that. Like still, like that's kind of. I thought that was like well, a kid thing. Well, we 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 did those in high school. What's crazy is Jordan remembered that specific run, right? When Rodman yeah. comes back, so he's and and correct me if I'm wrong, but that came from a modern day interview. It wasn't from an interview back in the '90s. So he's literally remembering, no. like, how many of us remember a workout from? Tw- 20 years ago at this point and he was able to recall that and how he told steve kerr just to chill like jog 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 have have you ever had in uh track practice like a time you have like that it's basically you kind of can relate to it where you have that one at that one teammate who kind of just pushes the pace too much you know like yeah. hey man come on this is an easy day and they never take it easy you know the the, oh, the yeah. freshman who just well, wants to prove themselves that I thought that was going to be a, a meme in the track world because I think Jordan, when he's talking about it, he says the word jog like four times. He's like, and then I went up to Kurt. And I was like, we're jogging this, jogging, jogging, jogging. I was like, oh, that's definitely going to be cut up and 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 put in front of us for years to come. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And then what? What did Rodman do? He just takes off, and then no one can catch him. And that's the that's the flaw with that workout is when you have one person taking it seriously. It's like, all right, the whole point of this thing is now gone. Yeah. Oh man. Good Speaking job. of jogging, you know who you know you know who jogs a lot? The NAU lumberjacks. Because mm-hmm. I was watch I, I watched them all season long and they do not run fast on easy days. I know that for a fact. So that's a good transition. Good the transition I was gonna use was a lot of people are talking about the Bulls dock as the best dock of the year, which it may be but the second best is definitely running with the boys, which you produced, which we will now dive into right now. Uh, yeah, solid number two, I'd say. Well, we what, can we uh, can give we can give the Bulls the twenty twenty best stock. We'll just give the twenty nineteen best oh, stock yeah. to NAU. There you go. That's right. That's yeah. right. I forgot two different two different years. So they have the twenty twenty crown. You guys had twenty nineteen. All this week on the site, we're running all the episodes of of running with the boys. It's five parts, so it works out perfectly to run Monday through Friday. Today, we're rerunning episode two. Of course, people can see it on de- on demand whenever they want. But I wanted just as a, as you can tell, I'm a fan of sports documentaries. I wasn't just a fan for, for the Bulls doc. I've been a fan of sports documentaries forever. So I love this project. I did not work on it at all. It was your production along with Jeremy Hayes. So I wanted to just like interview you and give people an insight into what, this team a little bit more about the team, but just also into the process of how something like this comes together because it's difficult to do. There's a lot of moving yeah. pieces. So I wanted to just a- ask you a bunch of questions as if you were the guest. Sounds good. Wow. I'm okay. What, what, I'm with, what the fourth guest now we had, we had yeah. Tyler day. We had uh, Emma, uh, Emma Bates, Shelby Houlihan. Mm-hmm. And now, and mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. me. I appreciate it, man. And now we are pleased to be joined by the producer of the award-winning documentary Running with the Boys. It's Gordon Mack. Gordon, thanks for coming on. How are you? Doing fine. And you used the word award-winning uh, tongue-in-cheek, but it did actually win an award. So just for the, re- no, for the was, record. It was- <laughs> listen, my intros are 100% serious. I introduced Shelby Houlihan as a two-time American record holder. Fact. I'm introducing this as award-winning. Also, fact. Uh, give me some history here, though. Like, how is this 
project different than the other longer form stuff you've been involved in? So this this project, yeah, this project was basically um, another doing documentaries. Uh, We've done now like 70 maybe documentaries uh, since the start in 2013. I believe the first documentary was on Cam Levin's Driven, which is mm-hmm. still an all-time top 10 uh, flow track documentary. If you haven't, check it out, Driven Cam Levin's. Very good. Um, but uh, so basically the way most of these these uh, series are made is they're filmed in like a two to three day window, right? Because you're trying to um, obviously you're on a budget and you, you want to be able to kind of produce a good piece, but without, you know, using a lot of resources and even back then in 2013 we didn't have as many resources right so you're always thinking about that so a lot of these documentaries are filmed centered around like a two to three day window where you're following them during a day those two days you film both of their workouts you do some long sit down interviews with the athlete coach etc and then you're able to piece together a good like story around uh, the athlete or the team uh and while these 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 styles are very interesting, you, you, you know, because we don't get that we don't we don't get you know full length documentaries around track and field athletes. So no matter what, it's going to be unique. Uh, over time, you start realizing that like with the rise of more and more documentaries, you know, you see like Hard Knocks uh, on Netflix. Mm-hmm. You see you know NFL films doing their like training camp. Uh, series with the NFL teams and you just see more and more of these documentaries that are what makes them good is following them more than just a few days right you're following them from the start the middle the end of a season and so ultimately that was where we wanted to go one day in the future Uh, but it's hard to like kind of find the right team for that and uh, it's also hard to get approval for it right because you're like hey we want to take away one of the editors at Flow Sports for three to five months. Can we do that for one for one for one film, right? And they're like, "Wait, man, that's a big commitment." So it takes a lot of like uh, pitching, uh, and after a lot of pitches and striking out multiple times, we kind of lucked our way into doing something similar with the Houston team, where the if you guys don't know, we did one on the Houston series. Uh, the on Carl Lewis and the Houston Cougars in 2019 spring, that video originally was only going to be a workout week where we went to Houston for a week after NCAA indoors. We were going to film a workout week, do a five episode, one workout per day. Uh, and at the end of that week of filming, we realized like Carl Lewis is, is pretty cool. Like he's very good on camera. This team was very interesting from the dynamic of the different athletes. Uh, and we're like, man, shit, we should we should do more than just a workout week with this. Maybe we could turn this into like a season-long series because they're in Houston. They're a drive away. We live in Austin, Texas. Their NCAs is in Austin. Travel-wise, it's not going to be that expensive. So maybe they'll do it. And at the end of the workout week, we asked Carl, hey, can we do a, a whole season series on you? And he was like, yeah, totally. So <laughs> that's how that became Houston Speed City. Uh, and we learned a lot from doing that, right? We learned, uh, like what works and what doesn't work, especially logistically, how you tell a story where you don't know the ending, right? Cause 
this Houston team we knew was good. We thought they could win. Uh, they almost won, right? They got third, scored like 50 points. Uh, but you normally, when you go into a document, like these flow track version of documentaries, you know the story. It's like, all right, we're talking about this person who won an Olympic title. They're, and now their next goal is to win another one, right? Or you have this very simple arc where here you kind of don't know, you don't know the, the backgrounds of the athletes as much, and you also don't know how it ends. So you're kind of kind of writing the story as it goes. And so we kind of learned the the good and the bad when doing the Houston film. It still turned out really well. We did seven episodes, and we learned what happens when things don't go well, right? So right. Houston, very good team. We were with them when they dropped the baton in the prelims, which is a big deal because Houston was expected. They were two-time defending champs in that event, and then they dropped the baton in the prelims. You had like the Texas Relays drama, and then you had just the team losing overall, right, where they kind of had so much built-up uh, expectation that they put on themselves. And it was really kind of – that. I mean, you were with them the final day, but like people forget Houston was like going – that they need they were like rolling like mario burke was running out his mind like they uh they were just running really well they had two guys in the 400 final you know mere latin was running well uh but obviously they just didn't put together on the final day so there's a lot of big like a big high and then a big disappointment right but in the mm -hmm. end it kind of told a good story kind of showed the the reality of track and field not everyone's going to win right and you can't perfectly predict not everything's going to be like a, we all win and go home happily ever after, right? Because that's not mm -hmm. reality, right? So anyway, we learned a lot with this Houston thing. But during this Houston thing, I'm trying to get to NAU finally. The entire time we're filming it, back in my mind, I'm like, we need to do this for a cross-country team because it plays even better, right? Because while track and field uh, does have a team element, the ultimate team element is with cross-country. So yeah. the entire time we're thinking, all right, who do we want to do? And the first person team we want to do is NAU, right? We're like, NAU, that's the team you do. They're three-time defending champions. That's the team. But there was a caveat. We're like, we want to do NAU, but we also want them to say yes. And it's hard to get NAU to say yes to things because we probably asked NAU to do films or mic'd ups or just different little features, and they keep on saying no. They're like, no, man, it's distraction. They always had an answer for why they didn't want us to film them, right? And I think they just didn't want to, you know, they didn't want to, like, I they maybe they felt the pressure of, like, the three-peat when they were going for number three, and they did kind of didn't want to add more pressure with, you know, like, Baxter and Day and all these guys kind of in their final years, LeMong. And I think they just they wanted to keep us out of the, keep us out of the room. So, anyway... I was going that's in common. thinking. I mean, just to, yeah, it's common. Right. Just, just yeah. to back, just, just just to back up a little bit, the Carl Lewis response of yeah, <laughs> was go ahead, common. go ahead, yeah, is not common in the NCAA track and field and cross country world. The, yes. the responses uh, that you normally get are more like NAU, a little more trepidation, a yeah. little more hesitation than just like yeah, come and film everything, or or just a no, like we have secrets. I'm like, you don't have secrets, man. Tempo runs aren't secrets, man. Let's just like. <laughs> Cool out. Uh, but so we went in thinking he was going to say no. And I remember I sent a text like in May to the assistant coach, Jared Cornfield, because I was like, I'm not going to go right to the boss because I didn't really have a relationship with Mike Smith at the time. So I was like, hey, man, what are your thoughts on us doing this? Uh, let me, I'll love that. Hop on a quick phone call. No, you only commit to anyway. And we had like a quick phone call for like 
10 minutes and I was just kind of saying like, Hey, what we're doing with Houston, we love to do with you guys. Uh, we're willing to do it in any way you want. Like we understand that there's a lot of pressure on you, et cetera, et cetera. But we also understand that like your team is going to be the team that everyone wants to know about. Right. Like you are, yeah. like you have the gold of like, a team going for a four P, a team with a bunch of interesting freshmen, new faces, a very popular coach. Like you gotta admit, like you if we're gonna do it to any, with anyone, it's gonna be you guys, right? So one, you're trying to tell them like, hey, we wanna do this and you're the best subject matter. And then it it basically <laughs> it took all right, so Jared was like, yeah, I mean, he was like, yeah, it sounds like a good idea. I mean, he also gave me no promises and gave me basically the same answer that I've been getting of like, thanks for thinking of us, uh, maybe, you know, like, but, you know, maybe he's <laughs> always mean no. And so I haven't really, I've, I don't think I ever talked to Mike. So I sent, he's like, I'll ask Mike. And I'm like, all right, cool. I wait a week, no response. I'm like, yo, did you ask Mike yet? He's like, oh yeah, okay, I'll do it now. And then, so I had to wait a w another week. <laughs> And then I was like, have you asked Mike? He's like, yeah. He said he'll text you. And I was like, he hasn't. He's like, oh, I'll text him to text you about <laughs> what his thoughts are. All right. I wait another week. And I then I said, then I start send, then I just asked for Mike's phone number and I start texting Mike. So I'd text Mike and he would be like, he wouldn't respond. And then I would text his assistant coach, get him to text me back. And then he would respond like late at like 9 p.m. and be like, Oh, sorry. Yeah, I'll, I'll get back to you tomorrow. And then he doesn't get back to me tomorrow. And literally, I played phone tag with Mike for like, not even exaggerating, four straight weeks. And the entire time, you and other people are like, guys, it's not happening because he keeps on. If it was happening, he would at least answer your freaking text or just have a conversation with you. Anyway, to my surprise, he calls me like at nine o'clock on a random day, p.m., explain what we want and to my surprise he was actually like considering it he was like actually you know this might be cool right uh and then it became like i first had to ask the guys so then he emails his team and most of the guys are okay with it and then it became a big thing about so one thing we did with houston was we released the episodes as the season happened and nau did not want mm -hmm. that they didn't want people to really know they didn't want a bunch of NAU trailers and hypes and teasers all over flow track and for an entire season of cross country. And so we made a deal like, Hey, we won't tell anyone we're doing this until after NCAAs. And so that was, that was good. And then another month went by before he said, gave me a final final. Cause he was like, I don't want to give you a final answer unless I know a hundred percent I'm all in. So I had to wait another month. And then eventually he says, okay, let's do it. And that was it. So I got to let's do it. So it took like three, I'm not even exact. It took three months to convince NAU to say yes. So good thing mm -hmm. I started the process early in like the spring of 2019. Because <laughs> if I would have started in like August, it would never have happened. Because they would be like, oh, it's too late now. We'll do it next year, right? Yeah. So anyway, we get, so we get you, it. Yeah. So then, you, so then you go down there for the first time in August, I believe. When did you know, like how far into that first shoot did you know it was going to work? Um, I mean, so what we did was we knew that in order to make it work, 
you need to kind of, especially it's going to be me and Jeremy Hayes. First of all, Jeremy Hayes should get 95% of the credit of this film. He's the one who edited it, uh, filmed it, you know, he did basically all of it, right? So for the the record, I just showed up and asked questions and was more producing it. Anyway, uh, but what we did was we went there for a week and during preseason. And the reason why you go Mm. for a week is because you wanted the, the guys to see me and Jeremy like multiple times throughout an entire week. So by the time it's like Thursday and Friday, they're so mm-hmm. used to us that they just, it, they don't feel weird. Cause if, if yeah. the first two to three days of us filming them, they're like looking at the camera. They're like thinking about what they're saying. They're kind of like sometimes even performing for the camera. Cause it's like new. It was like, Ooh, flow tracks here, like act differently. Yeah. And we don't, we don't want that. We want them to be like flow tracks here. Who cares? Like, or just continue to act ourselves. So we knew we needed to be there for like five days in a row to like get them to forget about trying to like think about the camera. So by, so the first three days, they're kind of acting like, ooh, trying to act cool and just like thinking about the camera, right? But that's how everyone is. Whenever you do any workout Wednesday shoot, the kids, I mean, they're 18 to 20 year olds or even high school kids, they want to like look cool for a camera, right? So it's just natural. Mm -hmm. But by the time we got to like Thursday, Friday of that week, you could tell that like they were kind of just like over it, not over it, but like they, they they stopped caring that we were there, right? They just kind of just like went back to like acting like college kids and just interacting with each other and joking around and talking to coach freely and not really worrying about saying anything to the coach that was caught on camera, which is what we wanted, right? So you basically mm-hmm. spend that week breaking the ice. And by I think by the end of the of the the week we had conducted interviews with every like main athlete so like with theo one with brody with louise with jordy and i i knew it was going to work one you knew it was going to work because they're good right so you knew there's at least something there because they're good but i i thought it was very interesting how like like just like the you um the unique character, like the, a lot of times you like think like you kind of associate track performance with leadership, right? You're like, oh, the most, the fastest guys are the most popular guys and they're the most vocal and it goes down in descending order, right? Because if you're the best, you're clearly the leader and you clearly talk the most, right? And you're, you know, it's, that's just what you think. But in reality, when you're on a cross country team, it's, a lot of times it's like the 10th best guy who's like the most vocal. Right. And I, Mm -hmm. you know, I went in thinking like it was going to be like, all right, who's their number one guy. Like, like, or like, I I was thinking like Brody hasty is going to be like a big character, but he was just like, he acted like he was like a, like a walk on. Right. He was like um, acting like he was a sub four high school miler, like with all that swag, he was just acting like another one of the guys. And basically what I noticed was there wasn't like a – so the team is bigger. It seems like 20 people. And there's people on that team who are legit. Like there was NSA champion and Jordy Beamish. There's Luis Gohalvo who's in 1330s. They, there's a lot of really good talent on that team. But you couldn't tell – there wasn't like a separation between the talented guys and like the 1430 guys, right, or 1420 mm-hmm. guys. Like you could tell that there was just like an equal 
like there was no like varsity JV separation, like where the good guys were the developmental guys. They were all like on an equal playing field. And I could just tell that they did not care about like who's better and who's not better. Like they're, they didn't care about like their talent. They just cared about like hanging out and like just chilling. And I try to get them to talk about their talent. I try to get them to talk about rivalries with BYU or like, pressure with winning the four Pete and they kept on like blowing off that question. Like they did not, they didn't have like this cocky, like we're the best, like, and thinking about trying to be like, like I was like, Hey, do you guys think you can beat BYU and like, or like win a fourth title in a row? And the first thing they said is like, we're not like, sure. Uh, maybe. Yeah. You know, like they were like, <laughs> they weren't focused on results. They weren't focused on their stats result. They were just focused on going to practice, hanging out and having fun. And normally like when you interview an athlete, right? There's always like, you could tell when an athlete's giving like a canned answer and an honest answer, right? Yeah. Like, like post the basketball games, like, yeah, we just gave a hundred percent effort. You know, the guys work together, you know, we're really focused and I can't wait to next day. Right. You, that typical, like, athlete speak um they i was trying to get them to give me athlete speak but they just wouldn't do it and that's when i knew it was going to be good i knew that they were genuinely just like guys who just liked running like hanging out with each other and they just happened to be really good and they just happened to be winning three times in a row um and it wasn't like a it wasn't like a we're the yankees it was more just like hey we're good and let's just keep being good right so I knew it was good when I noticed that they didn't care about – I know it sounds weird to say it, but they didn't care about winning. They just cared about yeah. running, which was kind of different. Yeah, so. Well, that's – yeah, it that's a bit It seems bad to say they didn't care about winning because they didn't end up winning, but – because they do care about winning, but they don't think about it. They don't think about the results. They just think about doing their best effort, so. And a lot of that, I'm sure, is a trickle-down effect from their coach, Mike Smith, who – in both of these pieces, when you did the Houston thing, you had two very big name personalities in it. And then now with Mike, you have a big name personality. These teams, you know, they're so big. It, it helps to have the main character be the coach because if it ends up being an athlete, it can feel a bit disjointed. How was your, when you got to campus and you're hanging out and spending time with them, how did your expectations of Mike match the, the reality? when you started rolling tape? Um, well, yeah, I mean, I agree that we went in with Mike trying to with being the focal point because that's how you have to do these type of shoots is that you can't make it when you can't make seven individual vocal points. You have to have overarching, which is Mike, which is his, because he's the philosophy of the team. Right. Um, but he, I mean, he met the expectations pretty quickly. Uh, he's kind of like a tough cookie to crack to like get him to like look at you as one of like, I mean, he, when you first meet him, you shake his hand. Hey, I'm Gordon. Oh, hey, I'm Jeremy. And like, you're going to be hesitant to like kind of develop a rapport with us because you have to realize like, Hey, we're going to be seeing you all the time for like three months. We're going to be part of this entire process. So the first week is kind of just trying to become his friend his colleague, his friend. Um, and I remember the time when I knew that like he was, he was, he was like, uh, 
he was like committed and he was like in and like kind of like opening up to us was uh when we this entire there's like the day three or four of the first trip and we had to go to like a football game because they were getting like an like a mm-hmm. an announced at the football game as like oh they're three time champions and I'm I'm thinking like okay the game starts at seven fifteen we need to be there by seven fifteen because they're going to be going on after the first quarter and I'm just trying to time it right. And Mike is just not caring about that. He's just like, we'll get there when we get there. He has such like the laid back, like California <laughs> style of like, whatever. And I'm like freaking out because as a producer, I'm just thinking like, we need to get the shots. We need to make sure they're in time. And Mike, I'm with, but I'm with Mike interviewing him and he is not caring about that. Right. And he's just caring about taking his time and just living his life. And the entire time I'm like, kind of like stressed, like trying to get him to like, get going but without like being blunt about it he could tell that like i was like getting stressed and the, the entire time he was just like hey man it's, it's gonna be okay and he, <laughs> he basically started coaching me just like tell me to like relax man like we're you know and i just like felt i don't know he felt like well he didn't get annoyed with me or like controversial like uh conflict what's the word uh antagonistic antagonistic towards it he was just kind of like turned into like a coach and it's like hey man gordon chill out we're gonna be fine we're gonna get there people are gonna be you know he has a famous line people will be honored by my lateness that's one of his famous lines from the georgetown series <laughs> uh you should be honored by my lateness uh but kanye that's kanye yeah that's basically a kanye from mike smith to or me. was it the other uh, way around we don't know maybe it was the other way around uh but that like it felt like like that 30 minute segment of like trying to get into the car and get to the stadium in time find that like literally we we're like i'm like freaking out because i think we're going to be late he's taking his good old time and not caring we are driving into the parking lot and i'm like all right we need to get out and get there because it's like i'm worried and he pulls up to the parking spot <laughs> and instead of pulling into it he's like you know what i'm gonna back into this parking spot and he has like a big ass van so he's like taking his time backing it i'm like dude like because now he knew he was like messing with me because he knew like i was like freaking out about time but he's like i'm gonna try yeah. to back in with a big ass van into a park like who backs into <laughs> parking spots with a van and he just was doing it just to be you know like just to like take his time uh and it turned out we got there and we were still like 15 minutes early which was like of course i because i didn't know like i didn't know how long football games were so uh he, 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 he just, knows how long just, big sky football takes exactly yeah um so but yeah i mean it, so it, was, do, it was cool the 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 first trip goes off well i remember talking to you guys afterwards i think i saw some of jeremy's footage after the first one because that's where i saw that i think I, he showed me that clip of you guys driving to the to the stadium and it was kind of funny because he was he was self-aware talking about this is the content you need and i think jeremy i think basically turned into a member of the team because i remember at ncaa championships on that blue carpet thing i was doing the the silly gimmick that i've done twice now where i interview people and ask them dumb questions and nau was the first team that came and i was like hey hey can i talk to you guys and i hadn't seen them at all i don't think i'd been at a single meet um, with them at all and they were just making jokes about how they'd rather have Jeremy interview them and can Jeremy be involved and we only talked to Jeremy and all this stuff. And it was, it was funny. So the next, the next couple trips, like, was there anything 
there that like were there any like red flags anything that worried you anything that, that concerns you um from after the first trip but before the last trip to ncaa's in terre haute well one of the agreements we made with that was like a negotiation really with mike was what the plan like how we are going to be filming them during race day because race day is very sacred for them and they it's all about getting their mind right and like they don't want any distractions right and so we looked at the first meet as kind of like a test run of how we would interact and basically it's a way for us to audition for mike smith to be like hey this is how jeremy's going to be at a meet and then you let us know if like that's bad or good right because what he didn't want is he didn't want us like going up to the guys five minutes 10 minutes before the race and asking them questions and like you know just distracting them from what their their goal is which is to run a, an 8k or a 10k so that first meet we were kind of really nervous we were we were trying to make sure we kept we we're like that's the start of social distancing to be honest like jeremy was really? super social distancing from mike and the team for that hour before the before the meet um and just making sure he was a fly on the wall. Uh, and it's kind of ironic because, like, Mike wanted us to do the entire series without us filming race day. Like, he he was so worried about cameras as a distraction. He's like, could you guys just do this without filming the meets? And I'm like, no, we can't. It's, it's no. not going to work that way. Uh, he's like, okay, yeah, I get it. But he just he didn't want cameras to distract that the, the stuff, the conversations you have in the tents and stuff like that. And it's kind of ironic yeah. because day, the first meet, which was uh, John McNichols, Jeremy is like staying super far away, wide angle lens, not going into the tent, just staying very, very far away. Uh, and it was fine. But the thing is, uh, like Mike was like, yeah, you did a good job staying out of the way. But after you do this, so many meets, right? Because we went there Nuttycomb, then we followed them at regionals and we went back to their place uh two or three more times when we went to ncas the camera was able to be right up with them the entire time like jeremy didn't social distance jeremy was inside the tent during the conversations he was like there for everything and mike didn't care because by then he had developed three months of a relationship with jeremy where like mm -hmm. a camera in that tent didn't feel like a distraction anymore it would have been a distraction if that if we didn't have that three month of rapport building mm -hmm. up to that moment, but because we had that three months, it allowed us to get footage of like true raw emotions of, you know, obviously in this case, their, their disappointment. And even beforehand of like the, the pressure right before, you know, a race. Uh, and then it kind of reminds me of not to go back to the Jordan doc, but in the beginning of the Jordan documentary, they talk about how, Jordan and the 90s Bulls gave unfettered access to the final season uh, that normally mm -hmm. you don't get, right? And that's basically what we were able to do. Like, we were able to be able to ask them any questions we wanted, be just there during all their practices and all their meets. And no one else really got to do that, right? You don't, which was mm -hmm. kind of cool. And it took the three months for of like that relationship to be that on NCA's day we weren't a distraction and we were able just to get raw like they were but to, he was able to coach without fear of thinking about being recorded and the athletes were able to listen to their at their coach and perform without thinking oh jeremy's gonna see me you know so that's what i thought was kind of cool it's like the progression of trust and i'm thinking of that ncaa race and 
there was two moments in particular where there was a little bit of a the fourth wall being broken where he says, hey, you know, Jeremy, give me some space or give the guys some space, but he's still able to follow him and capture those raw moments. And then the other time was right before he talks to to Mark Wetmore. And I think both of those were like really key pieces that rounded out just the emotions of the day. And even though he was a little bit farther back than he perhaps would have been, the fact that he even got that close and was able to capture it, it added a lot yeah. to it. Yeah, and it all became – he basically – we told Mike, hey, man, you get to tell us when it, we're going too far, you know. And you, you, when we told him that he had the, the, the switch to turn it on and off, he just had so much more trust because <laughs> we knew – he also we also knew that he's not going to turn it off because we're like, hey, man, because if he turns it off, then we don't have a story, right? So at least he, he at least had a little bit of like understanding that like if I tell them, oh, can't film this, can't film this, can't film this – then you don't get anything. Um, yeah, there was some things though that he didn't let us film that I wish he did. Uh, he, there, he, they, uh, the, the the two days before the meet, they had a rave in their in their hotel. They had a rave. I'm not even kidding. So like, because both the girls and boys boys team, like they they have like a room in the hotel that they reserved for team meetings. And mm -hmm. one night he texted everyone on the team and they all went down and there was this giant, like 30 minute long rave where, you know, their trainer was the bouncer and they were just, the lights were off. They had all this neon and, and we, I was like, that would have been so cool for the film. Why didn't you tell us about it? And he's, and he just smiled. He's like, you know, you never know when the rave's going to start. And he also said, he, he, he also quote. says, we told you, he also told you, like, we told you about the rave, and we thought he was kidding because after he would always talk about we're going to have a rave after every meet, like, in the hotel. And I was like, no, you're not. Like, that's not a thing. And he never did, but then he does have one on the on the, the last day of NCAAs. So we were upset that we missed out on the rave. Uh, that was kind of a bummer. Yeah, what other uh, stuff? I'm, I'm, I'm curious. What other stuff? I mean, now that with the hindsight being – what it is like was there another meet you wish you went to or another moment you wish you captured um there there were some uh there, there was a there was a brody hasty workout we didn't get to film that was before nutty comb uh that would have been a cool little extra to, to get we got pretty much a lot of stuff oh one thing that was kind of unique about the series is of the Every time we wanted to film something, every time we were there to film some a bad thing, not bad thing, like uh, it, it didn't work. So uh, when we, the Moto City situation, when they went on that long run and then they got stopped by Moto City, they they were supposed to do a, like a tr uh, workout at, in Sedona, which is like lot, lot better, like basically sea level, Lower a elevation. sea level workout. Yeah. But it, it but it got canceled because it was a football game, so we didn't get to film that. Um, Obviously, they had the soccer practice going on at one of their, their cross-country <laughs> workouts. So there was always like something – there. then they had the meet where there was a Halloween 5K going on. So there was a <laughs> lot of situations where they planned a workout or a situation that always got canceled or changed because of you know Flagstaff community doing something. Uh, but it would have been cool to get the Sedona workout because they told us that's, that's like the best workout of the cross-country season. And – they end up pushing it back, you know, a week later to 
you know, different when we weren't there. So that was kind of a bummer to see them at sea level. Because uh, apparently that's when they rip it, right? When you're at sea level, you're able mm-hmm. to like, you know, you, you have a lot more oxygen. So I was come, I was bummed out about that. I also was kind of, it was kind of hard to like, so much was happening at the end of the, when the, when the race is over, so much is happening that yeah, you, you kind of like, you're not prepared in a, in a weird way. And Jeremy was basically hypothermic. It was bad because, as you know, it was. You talk about an NCAA place. Yeah, NCAA. It was cold, wet, rainy. Jeremy was not really prepared for. I mean, he had a rain jacket on, but he definitely he was soaking wet. I saw Jeremy after the the race, and he looked like he was going to pass out. It was bad. He was super hypothermic. I was like, "Damn, damn, we need to like get you inside and put you up by <laughs> by a fireplace asap." <laughs> uh, but because of that. Jeremy just we didn't have the ability to like stay with the team when they went to their team dinner and just kind of like do like a follow up with the, a lot of the guys and it was mainly because mm-hmm. we we're just like Jeremy you need to go to the hotel and just like stop like enough is you know we just we just had to pull the plug in a, in a weird way um yeah cuz Jeremy looked like he was about to die it was kind of wild but you know it was freezing i did i was out there for only a little bit of time doing post race interviews and my hand when i was holding the camera was shaking like yeah. that's how it got it got bad really quick. I can't imagine being out there all day. I wonder about the outcome and how you thought the outcome of the race impacted the outcome of the piece. I've had several people tell me they thought from a story perspective it was more interesting because they weren't able because they didn't win. They didn't get the four peat. How did you see that functioning um as an as a as a piece of the story? So I mean, it reminded me of the Houston thing when they dropped the baton, and I was like, "Oh man, they like, uh, you just like you knew they were, yeah, like there's a little, there's both, right? Obviously, there's a story to losing, right? There's a story to like coming up short, yeah, uh, and that that is good, but there's also another story of like winning, right? And I think also them pulling off a four peat would have been just as equal of a like, whoa, I want to see what happened, like how they pulled that off. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. watching the docuseries of the Jordan Bulls, they they win the sixth one. They don't lose it, right? And we're, we want to watch it because even though... No, no spoilers. Winning. Yeah, no spoilers. So I was... Yeah. I, I think either way, we knew it was going to be good. Um, yeah. I think the only, the only negative was obviously when the team loses, it's just like they're kind of like more disappointed and like I think... it because you kind of develop a relationship with these guys and with the coach. And I think they were probably really looking forward to the series. And I think the series, it's a little harder for them to watch at first. Maybe it takes them, mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, that first episode came out on Monday, like three day, two days after they lost, right? So if you lose an NCAA title when you're expected to win, it's the first thing you want to do is watch like your preseason <laughs> And think oh, good, like you, you so many, like you watch it thinking, like, yeah, man, like w- w- everything was going so well, right? So, I do kind of feel yeah. for like the subject matter to have to kind of relive a season that ended not how they wanted to, but at the same, that's in the raw moment. But I think looking back on it, like, especially now in April of 2020, I think those guys and Mike, especially, can look back at it and be like, this is, you know, you got to. 
you know, you got to practice what you preach. Like he was always about, he's not a results oriented coach and that mm-hmm. they don't need to win their fourth title for them to have another successful season. Like in order to have a successful season, they need to train the, with the ex with the, for each other and like run for each other and put all their hard work into the season. And just because you get second, first or 10th, that doesn't decide whether or not you had a good season. What decides now you had a good season is that you put in a good, good, good amount of work. And they did. They put in a good yeah. amount of work. It's just hard. Sometimes it's hard to practice what you preach, right? Because it's, it feels yeah. good to win three in a row. But I think, I think Mike did a good job of like eventually like realizing like, yeah, man, this like he said in the in the in doc we have a catch is like this is when coaching starts, right? What after mm-hmm. he found out that they got second, like. They did not lose. That was a line he said right away. They did not lose um, because the entire time he was telling us <clears throat> we're not here to win a fourth title. Like they, they did not talk. He never talked about it on camera. He never talked about it with the guys. The guys never talked about. It. Never was the expectation for them to win a fourth title. It ever like they were like, like the you know they they were not great. The grades did not result the. They didn't grade their season based on the result of their finish, which is kind of mm-hmm. crazy to say, but it was true. And he said, like, this was the best team he's ever had. The team that loses was better than the previous teams, which is kind of mm-hmm. ironic, right? It's like, how is that possible? And he's like, well, it's just, it is what it is. And it's also kind of wild that we thought a team with four freshmen would win, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Well, I I get your point about, we're still watching this Bulls doc, even though they win. I guess the difference is there. There was just so much conflict in it. And in a story about a track team or a cross country team, it's just harder to find conflict. So losing is the ultimate sign of conflict, but I also see it from the perspective of, yeah, now everybody's reticent to talk. And if you don't have anybody talking or saying interesting things and you don't have a good resolution for the documentary or the story itself, because then it just sort of ends and, and they're d- disappointed. But I mean, I thought he did a good job like wrapping it up and, and tying a bow on it, but how a team that's won a bunch responds to finally losing, I think is something that people can always relate to because more people lose than win in sports. Yeah. It's just, that's just the nature of it, especially in cross country when 31 teams show up, 30 of them technically lose, lose. and one of only yeah. one of them wins. Yeah. Yeah, and um, I also wish that we kept the f- cameras rolling for the next three months, right? Because then we could have seen the <laughs> way they kind of responded to that loss with their incredible indoor regular season uh, that ultimately we didn't get to see what it could have become because of COVID. But um, yeah, I mean, that you know, and that, you could just, I mean, you also, when you're working with these guys, you kind of develop a relationship with them. You kind of you feel for them. So there is a little bit of the human element when you're, I mean, obviously as a journalist, I'm not really that much of a journalist. I don't really write that much, but as like a employee of a, of a media company, you're a media member as a media member. Yeah. As a media member, a track, like, you know, I should, I need to go into like all competitions with like, you know, unbiased look and like, be like, all right, this is, who I think is going to win. This is, you know, who I think had a bad race, who I think had a good race. And I can't let personal connection to the athletes or coaches affect that. Um, mm-hmm. 
there you have like especially because i was on camera with like kyle merber while reacting to the races you know and i had to like turn off the nau producer helmet and just turn on fan and analysis analyst uh like helmet and just like be excited for byu right because that truly is a great yeah. story i mean BYU is coming back, getting knocked in the fit, knocked in the mouth three times in a row, and then the fourth time when no one thought they was coming, they they figure out a way to pull it off. Uh, and Ed Dyson's a great guy, and you know, just seeing them win was you know a good story in its own. Uh, had to like embrace that, but then in the back of my mind, I know like I spent three months with this team, so I you do kind of feel for them in a weird way uh, because mm -hmm. you know you. you when you invest so much time in something, you kind of you want what's you want the best, right? So you kind of wanted them to win, you know, as just like a I guess a, a biased, selfish reason. Uh, so you're kind of a little mm -hmm. disappointed for them. You kind of felt bad for them, but at the same time, you're now kind of you know like they they you knew that their foundation was bigger than this one loss, right? They, mm -hmm. I mean, and clearly it was because they bounced back and started running seven forties in the three k, so. <laughs> but you know my i just wanted to be in it a lot and i was so shout out to jeremy and m mostly my voice so that was all i wanted out of it it's just completely vanity go. for me uh okay one more question put on your analyst hat again and then i'm going to ask you an outcome question which mike would not yes. like so i'm, I'm like asking you to go question. complete opposite direction of how you were like what went wrong i mean you saw a lot of the workouts you saw pretty much all the races what what happened why why weren't they able to win so i mean the the, the okay first of all blaze farrow wasn't as healthy as he was the previous year so that he was a top 30 guy so they didn't they knew they didn't have blaze but they still were good enough to win even if blaze disappeared uh there was a little bit of drama with whether or not they were blaze or ryan raff but in the end you're debating about who's going to be our sixth or seventh guy, and if Blaze just like shows up, who like it's the surprise mm -hmm. of what Blaze can do is worth it, you know. Uh, but taking that out because that was the only really hard situation. Everyone else was running on all cylinders; they were healthy. I mean, they went one, two, three at the regional meet. They were they were rolling. So there was no outside circumstance, I think, that they can blame of like oh bad injuries or just bad luck. Um, I think what went wrong is they were I mean I I I talked about it. I thought it was their positioning. Um I think they just they weren't prepared about how hard it would be to get in position with such a shitty course. By shitty course I mean like muddy course where the footing's not good mm -hmm. and the weather. I just think that um they they took a game plan of like normally they like going putting like their entire top five in that top twenty five, right? And they didn't do that. Mm -hmm. They put their entire top five in fortieth, right? And they just didn't have the build like they just could never recover from where their starting point was. Basically, the score at three K or was this three K or five K was the score at the end. Like no right. one moved. Because it was just like too hard to move up, and if you moved up, someone moved like someone moved up with you, right? So I think it was the reason. I think they just they made a mental error in 
positioning. I think they maybe were overconfident in being able to get to the next level to get into that top 25 group when they all were in the top 40 group, you know, because, yeah, I think they just made like a, a mental error. I think it was a, it was, it was like a, a, I think it was a race tactical error. I don't think it was a physical, mm -hmm. like, I think they were fit. I think they were ready to run. I think they just, they got in the wrong position and it was over. I mean, it's the same, you know, cross country does that though, right? The fittest people don't always yeah. win. The people like Chesarek lost and Chesarek was unbeaten forever. Right. And then he gets third in a race. Like, how is that possible? And it wasn't like Chesuk was having a bad season. He was like dominating every regular season race in mm -hmm. cross country, one pack 12, and then he gets beat by Tiernan and Knight. And it's because like cross country is, is a wild race where, you know, anything can happen and mental mistakes can happen and footing, bad footing. But I think the reason why they lost was a mental error of their first, I think it was from their first thousand meters. I think they lost the race after a thousand meters. I think they got swallowed up and they didn't get into good positioning. Um, and then it was, it was done from that, which is kind of, you know, yeah. I mean, and, and BYU just had enough. I mean, BYU had their five in, but like BYU sixth wasn't close. Right. So if one of their BYU's five, you might've found one guy dropped out, but uh, yeah. I mean, what do you think it was? Uh, I mean, they only beat Colorado by one point. So you could also play that yeah. game too. Like you could say, you could go the other direction. And if, is it Brody Hasty was their fifth scorer yeah. who like leans across oh. the line there? Yeah. And Over Yared Nagus. Yeah. 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 That's the only time Yared Nagus has been outkicked. Um, <laughs> well, I remember watching the race and commentating the race and afterwards, I rewatched it. I rewatched all my commentary and critique myself. And I was way too cautious because any I've seen NAU win over yeah. and over and over and over again. And I should have been more clear that something was afoot. Something was not going to plan. And I I used very conservative language when I should have been like, okay, there's a problem here. There's this is not going to NAU's plan. Like BYU is in command because we were so used to seeing NAU up front early. I think, yeah, I mean, you're relying on a bunch of freshmen. Although Bosley ran great, Nur ran great, Hasty even ran really well. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just an issue of you had two bad days from two guys who rarely have bad days in Beamish and Grijalva. Um, Because if you look at like, the people who were around, like you look at other athletes who finished before NAU's first guy, and it's very strange. It's like, wait, what? Yeah. That person? Like people that that you would not think would be ahead of NAU's first person should have been up there. So I, I mean, I could almost say, yeah, part of that, and part of that was the the first kilometer. But like, what did Bosley get? What what did he finish? It's like twenty fifth, twenty sixth, twentieth, some of that. In the twenties. Yeah, I mean, if you had told if you had told me ahead of time, Drew Bosley's going to finish in the twenties, I would say NAU is going to win by a lot. Yeah, right? and most people would have said that. So I think it just came down to those those two guys. I guess you you could throw in three guys or four guys. Like everybody but those three just just ran off, and 
especially Grijalva. I mean, the guy's always been so consistent. And then after that point, he was really consistent too. I think it just came down to those two not not running well. Yeah, I mean, what should have happened was Luis and Jordy should have ran to the front. They should have ran to should have gone with Peter Sufer. Yeah, they they should have they should have put them instead of trying to put himself. They probably were thinking put yourself in a top twenty five as a result because it's so mm-hmm. big. You're in a top forty, not the top twenty five. They should be like, we need to be in the top five. We need to be able to see the front of the race. Like that's yeah, what they should yeah. have done. Because if they would have done that, then this naturally they would have been in that group. And when the separation happens, they can fall back, and then they're going to fall back to the twenties as opposed in this situation where they fall back to the you know the forties, fifties. Well, so. 20s though it's yeah. like you look at what Grijalva did after you look at what Grijalva did before it's like he could have been a top five in that race yeah like that would not have been that shocking if Grijalva ended up getting uh fifth I mean Beamish finishing up in the top 10 would not have been shocking if you said Beamish is going to get 10th or he's going to get whatever he got 50s 60s or something like that I would have said oh yeah certainly 10 the thing that makes me wonder about your your theory about the first K is there's a great shot from the documentary, the last episode, Mike's in the car with Jordy, and isn't he telling him you got to get out? Yeah, basically, I, Is it, yeah, yeah. But it didn't happen for some reason, and I don't know. I don't know if it's just because the placement of the boxes and where they were, and they didn't really know. And before they knew it, they were swallowed up by the pack. But it wasn't like he didn't bring up being aggressive in the first kilometer. But I mean, we we I didn't hear all the conversations. That's the only one I heard really. Yeah, and I I really think it was just uh, the thing that killed them was patience. They were too patient. They were too mm-hmm. confident in their patience of moving up because like it's a ten k. All right. Yeah, yeah. Because I think I think they were like, all right, we need to get out front, right? After the first eight hundred meters, they're like, shit, we're not out front. I don't think they were like, all right. They I think they still knew that they needed to be higher than they were, but I think they were like, yeah. all right, we're gonna patiently move our way up, and it didn't work because they were like. You know, while they are slowly, you know, clicking people off, that front group is getting farther and farther away. You know, yeah. and then eventually yeah. there's that separation, and then you're never going to close that. So, yeah. But I think we've all yeah. been in anybody who's run has been in a race where it's like you get lost, and it doesn't yeah. matter how how good you are, what level. Everybody's been in a race where you just you have no concept of the pace and those results at the 400 meter mark or the 1000 meter mark, depending on whatever race it is, get frozen in time. And then it just moves from there. And I think that that ultimately proved to be true because as you mentioned, that first split is really close to what you see at the team score. And it it moves a little bit. The other red flag, they weren't really together. They were kind of, there was a couple pairings here and there in the beginning, but you're used to seeing them either be at the front, a couple guys or, four, five, six guys right up front. Because as you brought up in one of our breakdowns earlier in the year, they don't want them running alone, right? If one guy goes, everybody follows. And they were not able to to execute that that plan in this race. Yeah. And I think the weather was a factor. I think the weather just like get got them off their game. Like, just like, you know, because you're yeah. colder and you're just like, all right, be patient. Guys, they won't, you know, you know. So, and when you talk about the weather, the weather's like a weird thing because when people say, "Oh, it's the weather," it's like, "Oh, you're making excuses and this and that," or, uh, or oh, the the bad weather's always going to affect teams from Arizona or California. That's not how it works. All, all the weather does is just introduce another crazy variable, and it mixes in with all the other variables, and it changes a predicted outcome. 
and it's going to affect yeah. this group of teams more one way or that group of you know teams more the other way like it's just you can't really tell like edwin kurgot was the best runner coming in and he won the race right but like maybe in a different scenario there was a different variable that's thrown out to, to him and it's a Cesarek situation and he gets ends up getting third right like yeah like there, there's just so much uncertainty mixed in that you can never draw really draw a straight line um in cross country in any event this was fun thank you for yeah. for breaking down all and thank you for answering all my questions guest gordon mack producer of the award-winning documentary guys gotta watch it we watch it do you need something to do on a tuesday night watch all five episodes there's lots of extras yeah. now there are some good old workouts uh it's good it's good it's good series yeah. i think it's our best one yet we've done to date so yeah so click all all five episodes are available you can listen you can watch sorry you can listen to us anywhere you listen to podcasts remember all the archive podcasts are flowtrack.org slash flowtrack podcast thanks to Elon for producing thanks to you gordon we will talk to you guys tomorrow